African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today on the program, we'll be looking at the passing of Zambia's President uh, Michael Sata and also looking at matters that arise from uh, his death. And we'll be speaking to some experts from Zambia on that. But before that, let's get our news from Musa. In the headlines, Burkina Faso security forces arrest protesters ahead of vote on a move to allow the president to stand for re-election. Tunisia's main secular party, Nida Tunis, wins 85 seats in the new 217-member parliament. And Egypt bans a pressure group that pushed for the reinstatement of former President Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Security forces in Burkina Faso have reportedly fired tear gas and arrested protesters gathering in the center of the capital, Ouagadougou, before parliament votes on a move to allow the president to stand for re-election. Lawmakers will today vote on a plan proposed by government to push through changes to the constitution to allow President Blaise Compaoré to stand for re-election next year when he was due to stand down. The opposition has called for a blockade of parliament, fearing the new rules would enable Kampere to seek re-election not just once but three more times, paving the way for up to 15 more years in power. Tunisia's main secular party, Nida Tunis, has won 85 seats in the new 217-member parliament, while the Islamist party, Enakhda, secured 69. This according to results released by electoral authorities today. Tunisians on Sunday voted in a parliamentary ballot. Enakhda conceded defeat on Monday in the election that was only the second free vote since Ben Ali's long-time rule ended. Egypt has banned a pressure group that has that has pushed for the reinstatement of President Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood 
who was overthrown by the army last year. Prime Minister Ibrahim Mekhleb issued a decree dissolving the national coalition to support legitimacy and reject the coup, as well as its political arm, the Independence Party. This follows an earlier court ruling against the organizations. The coalition, which included Brotherhood supporters and other groups, was set up after their then-army chief, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, overthrew Mosul in July last year, following protests against his rule. A senior research fellow from the trade collection collective Libuhang Peku says the doctrine of anointed leadership is questionable when it comes to choosing leaders in some African countries. Peku says it disempowers voters and deprives them from exercising their rights to vote. Political parties in Zambia have described the death of President Michael Sata as devastating to every Zambian. Sata became president in 2011. Deputy President Guy Scott is now acting as president. According to the constitution, Zambians are expected to hold elections within 90 days to appoint a leader. Peko says the current defense minister is a preferred candidate of the late Sata. One of the great deficits of some African politics is the whole notion of anointing, being anointed into power rather than elected into power, where the election almost becomes a, a formality. The Zambian population really need to think a bit more carefully around better succession planning. Do you think that the defense minister was Michael Sutter's preferred choice, which I find problematic? I think it disenfranchises the voter. I think it also removes the voter from the electoral process in a meaningful and substantive way. I think we need to have a leadership that reflects people of our own age who look like us, who think like us, without, of course, discarding eldership. And finally, South Africans will today pay tribute to three sports icons who died over the weekend. A joint memorial service will be held in Johannesburg. Sports Minister Fikile Mbalula will lead dignitaries at the service, which will honor soccer star Senzo Miyua, Olympic medalist Mbulayeni Mulahoudzi, and female boxing sensation Pindele Moalase. President Jacob Zuma has expressed his condolences to the families of the sports stars. Fellow South Africans, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family of Senzo Meiwa, the captain of our national squad, Bafana Bafana, and the captain of Orlando Pirates. We would also like to convey our deepest condolences to the family of our exceptional Olympic gold medalist, Mulaheni Mulaudze. Their untimely passing has robbed us of the talents and contribution of two outstanding young men. We also extend our condolences to the family of professional boxer Miss Pindile Mwelase, who passed away on Saturday. Recapping the top stories, Burkina Faso security forces arrest protesters ahead of a vote on a move to allow the president to stand for re-election. Tunisia's main secular party, Nida Tunis, wins 85 seats in the new 217-member parliament. And Egypt bans a pressure group that pushed for the reinstatement of former president Mohamed Morsi of the Muslim Brotherhood.
Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue, You're joining us right now at 11.08 Central African Time. And remember that, as we announced earlier on, today we're focusing on the passing away of Zambia's President Michael Sutter and other matters arising from his death. The President of Zambia, Michael Sutter, died on Tuesday in London. According to British newspaper The Telegraph, Sutter died in King Edward hospital he was earlier believed to be receiving treatment at harley street clinic in london sata is said to have been suffering from prostate cancer and other ailments the president missed his country's 50th independence celebrations on friday last week the 77 year old statesman's medical condition had been kept away from public life since the opening of zambia's parliament on the 18th of september this year yeah, well, we have a couple of experts on the line, and uh, on the line right now we have Beggy Khateb, an acting chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa, and uh, we'll be joined by other guests uh, in this particular hour to look at the passing of the President of Zambia, Michael Sutter. Beggy, welcome to the program. Oh, good morning. Thank you very much. Africa and Fantastic. So let's just uh, look at the passing of uh, the president. In terms of uh, us as a South African or you uh, as a department, when did you learn about the passing away of uh, President Michael Sutter and what has been the South African response to this? All right. First of all, really, as the South African government, the South African public, We'd like to pass our condolences to the people of Zambia and its patriotic front. We have learned immediately after he passed on on Tuesday morning. We learned about immediately on, not, not immediately on Tuesday, and then we learned about that. You know? That's why formally yesterday in Parliament we have adopted a motion of condolence to the people of Zambia. That's why it was sent there, it was adopted unanimously. Mm, definitely. And on the line, we're also joined now by the president of the Law Society of Zambia, George Chisanga. Welcome to the program, uh, George. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm grateful that you put me on this program. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Now, we know that President Sata uh, was in a hospital uh, in London when he passed on. Now, do we know when his uh, body will be repatriated back to Zambia? Uh, is there any knowledge in your country on when he'll be coming back into the country? Right. Um, the information that we have right now is that uh, the, the body will be uh, brought into the country tomorrow, on, on Saturday, rather. 
Yes, and the barrier yeah. arrangements haven't even been started. Okay, okay. And uh, it was also reported, as we mentioned in our intro, that President Sata was suffering from prostate cancer. Do we know if this is true? Have we heard anything in Zambia about uh, uh, his illness? Because we know that it has been kept away from public life for a while now. Um, I, I personally, and I think on behalf of the Law Association, mm-hmm. would not be able to give you a formal position on what yeah. The president was suffering because uh, we have actually made a statement before mm. where we were concerned that the government had kept the secret of the president, uh, you know, in, in secrecy and controversy. People had been asking, uh, and the government was able to disclose the nature of the disease that the president was suffering from. Mm, definitely. Now, when we look at uh, the constitutional issue, it's been something that's been highlighted in the past few weeks, especially in the illness of uh, President Michael Sutter. Uh, we know that uh, the Zambian Vice President Guy Scott has now been named Acting Head of State following the death of President Michael Sutter. How has uh, Zambia received these uh, news, especially after a lot of conversation around the Constitution? Right. Um, in terms of uh, how we have received the appointment of uh, His Honor Vice President to act, uh, I think we, we had expected that this, this would have been the correct way in which we would fill the vacancy of the office of the president for the, for the next 90 days. So the, the country has calmly received that appointment, and the, it has been done strictly in accordance with the provisions of Article 38 of the Constitution. So there's no qualms about it. Uh, the public also has been aware. I mean, Mr. Guy Scott has been on the side of Mr. Sata for the whole period. In fact, even the reshuffles that Mr. Sata defected in cabinet mm-hmm. did not extend to the office of the, of the vice president. I think that the relationship was a lot of trust and confidence between them. Well, let me move back to uh, Becky Khatebe, the acting chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa. Becky, in terms of looking at uh, uh, the role that uh, uh, we play with uh, Zambia as a country as a whole in terms of our relations, uh, uh, what was the economic relations between Zambia and South Africa during President Sutter's presidency? Would you say that trade has grown between the two countries? Do we have a healthy relationship? All right. What is critical here? South Africa has historic relationship with the Zambians, not only with the, the Zambian government, but with the people of Zambia. Because remember that they hosted the liberation movement for many years. The headquarters of the ANC were there in exile. So what has happened is that in the of democracy, we depend the economic relationship with Zambia. It is still strong. And then we believe that it is still go to the greater heights, irrespective of the third passing of President Sata. But what is critical here is that in South Africa we have confidence in the Zambian armed forces and the circuit services because we know we have never had a situation whereby a transition from one president to the other president in Zambia was followed by turmoil. We know that as I'm very appreciative that there. The people and the government of Zambia have received the news coming because that's what we have expected from our African compatriots. Well, uh, I want to just look at the personality of uh, the president of Zambia and uh, in terms of looking at uh, how he actually... um, 
used his term and how what kind of leader he was during his presidency. George, in terms of your views, was he a, a good president? Was he loved by the people of Zambia? Um, Mr. Saka came, came on, on, the, on the platform of his presidency through a popular vote. And he polled very, very well when we had the last general election. And that, this is not strange to all the Zambians. I think it's because he's a person who was known. And he has, been, he has lived in the political limelight for a greater part of his life. Uh, you may need to know that uh, he actually served in all governments that have been in this country from the time we gained independence. He worked with the first president of the county, the unique government. When the MND was formed, he was one of the appointed persons that were working to form government at that time. And he served in various portfolios. And he had a very good track record of effective work, whichever portfolios that he held. So it was easy for Zambians to identify him as a credible presidential candidate. And he was, I think, the president that could describe as a president who was loved by Zambians. And uh, Becky, that relationship that uh, maybe we know of between President Jacob Zuma and uh, Michael Sutter, do we know how that relationship was? Would we have any insight on that? No, uh, I, I don't want uh, to speak about the private relationship between mm. President Sutter and President Zuma. Mm. But as I said, that South Africa has a relationship with a cordial relationship with the Zambian government and the people of Zambia, because we cannot underemphasize mm. the help which they, they've given us. As we know that in South Africa we speak about Ubuntu, I am what I am because of what you are. The Zambians really extended their hands to us. That's why they'll come what may. We'll always be on the side of the Zambians. And the relationship between the two presidents was cordial because they're able to work. They were able to. They were able to do the work which they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we're going to take uh, just a break right now, but we'll continue with uh, uh, looking at the life of uh, President uh, of uh, Zambia, Michael Sata, who died on Tuesday in uh, London. And we say we've heard reports that uh, say that uh, he was uh, receiving some treatment as well from the Harley Street Clinic in London and might have been suffering from prostate cancer. But uh, what are your views? We want to hear from you as well. We want to hear your thoughts as well as you join us here on our program sms us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five what are your thoughts of uh, michael sata maybe you have some views on the kind of president he was and also maybe you have some views on zambia as a country maybe some words of condolences to uh, the country of zambia we know it's a very patriotic country as a whole let us know your thoughts that sms number is plus two seven eight two three three two five nine Ebola bits. Symptoms may develop from 2 to 21 days, normally in 8 to 10 days. Symptoms often begin with a sudden fever along with muscle aches and a headache. There may also be nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a cough and a sore throat. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by the World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using hashtag BeatEbolaNow.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. Uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. And today we're looking at uh, the responses and also just uh, looking at the life of uh, the president of uh, Zambia, Michael Sata, who died earlier in this week. And uh, very sad news for Zambia indeed. I was speaking to some of our journalists here who hail from Zambia and you could see just in their expressions and some of their views that this was a very, very surprising moment for them and for their country. And indeed, very sad news that uh, uh, Michael Sutter has passed away in London. But we have some experts on the line to give us maybe just a feel on uh, the happenings in terms of uh, uh, the relationship that Zambia has with other uh, countries as well and also to look at the life of uh, uh, Michael Sutter and also to look at uh, the issue of the constitution in the country which has been uh, raising eyebrows in the last few months or so uh, looking at the draft constitution and issues such as that. But uh, on the line we have Becky Khatebe, the acting chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa. We also have Steve Lungu who's the former, uh, no rather we have George Chisanga rather who is the president of the Law Society of Zambia. And right now we're joined by uh, James uh, Thornton, who is the British High Commissioner, and Dr. Neo Simutani, who is a political scientist and director of the Center of uh, Policy Dialogue. But uh, let's move on to Dr. James Thornton to get uh, uh, a view rather from the British High Commissioner in terms of the relationship uh, between Zambia and Britain. Uh, uh, Mr. James Thornton, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. It's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you, Benjamin. Fantastic. Now, let us know the relationships that uh, you had with uh, Zambia as a country, and how has uh, Britain uh, received these uh, sad news of the passing of uh, Zambia's president? Well, um, first of all, let me uh, extend my condolences uh, once again through you to um, uh, the people of Zambia at this uh, very sad time. It's always a shock uh, and a sadness to lose a, a president in office. And, of course, this is the second time in six years that it's happened. Um, uh, I've sent messages of condolence, uh, and so has the, uh, the British Foreign Secretary. Um, uh, we've, uh, we've been in person. Uh, senior representatives of my ministry went in person to, uh, uh, to pay his respects to uh, President Sasa's widow, uh, where she was staying in London last night. Mm. Um, you asked about the uh, the relations between the UK and Zambia. They're, they're extremely positive. Uh, we've had, ever since Zambia's independence, we've uh, had a strong program of support to the country in terms of technical cooperation. Uh, that continues. Uh, it's evolved over time. We're involved in a number of areas, education, health, uh, women's rights and girls' issues, and we're moving into uh, support for economic growth. Um, but our relationship isn't just about uh, uh, technical cooperation. It's all mm. also about trade. We've, um, uh, we've uh, uh, just recruited a new officer in the High Commission specifically to promote uh, trade with Zambia. Um, we, we do things uh, educationally and culturally through the British Council um, and on the, on the defense side. So we have a pretty broad relationship with the country. 
I should say that's a government to government. Um, um, there are a lot of individual Brits um, who have personal links to Zambia and who run NGOs here, and there are a lot of Zambians who are residents in the UK um, or who studied there. So at all levels, the relationship is a very thick one. Mm. Now, looking at the whole repatriation process of the body, we have uh, established on the program in this hour that uh, the body will be returning on Saturday. That's the knowledge that we've received. In terms of that process, do we know how that's going to be taking place? What are the logistics in that, uh, uh, Mr. James Thornton? Well, um, I think a lot of details are still to be worked out, mm. uh, um, I mean, including the exact timing um, the, we on the British side are very much taking our leave um, from the, uh, the Zambian government, and obviously um, the, the death only happened on, um, on Tuesday night, so there's, there's a lot to be sorted through. Now, let me move on to Dr. Neo Simotani, who is the political scientist and director of the Center for Policy Dialogue. Dr. Simotani, thank you for joining us here on the program. Let us know your thoughts about the environment right now in Zambia. How are people taking the news of the loss of uh, their president? Um, you know, in Zambia, our culture, you know, is that we, we have great respect for the dead. And um, uh, when there's a funeral of this type, and then someone, you know, or the person, uh, or the president, you know, the, the shock and sadness is, is quite deep. Uh, so we, we, we are mourning. I mean, the country is in mourning. And uh, uh, we, we, we only hope that there will be peace and calm in this period. Uh, you know, the rights are being followed. You know, the, the churches. Uh, you know, are, are conducting prayers uh, uh, to, to 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 remember, uh, you know, President Michael Sata. So there is somber mood you know, across the country, and there are the grief, I think, across the country, across uh, you know various regions and across uh, uh, across parties. You know, the, the feeling is the same. Mm. And, and and looking at uh, the the man himself, uh, Michael Sutter, we were speaking about uh, the kind of leader he was, very liked, uh, very much uh, uh, popular in the country. Uh, let us know your sentiments in terms of the kind of man he was as a politician and also as a leader in the country. Um, it's difficult to <laughs> summarize the, uh, the life and the, the character uh, of Mr. Michael Sata. You know, I knew him myself from a distance uh, for quite uh, many years, I think since the late 70s. Um, and uh, and so his rise uh, in the political, you know, structure of the then ruling ruling United Nations Independence Party unit. Um, I think he struck me as someone who was able to relate with ordinary people. I think he was, he was very good at the uh, people relations or human relations. Um, I think he was a, a, a humble man. You know, he, he brought himself to a low level and he was able to interact uh, with grassroots very easily. He mingled very easily with the grassroots, grassroots. And that partly, I think, is what gave him the charm, what, what made him popular, because... Uh, uh, he was able to to connect 
uh, easily with uh, the local people. And also, I think when, when he went to opposition politics, he was able to articulate uh, the, the concerns of ordinary citizens. And I think that itself is what gave him that, uh, that push uh, that made him a prominent politician and a prominent opposition leader. Well, I'm going to take one more break and we're going to continue. And when we come back, I'd like us uh, to look at the issue of the constitutional reforms that have been uh, debated on and uh, the focus on that that's been highlighted, especially with uh, uh, the vice president now standing in for uh, uh, Michael Sutter due to his death, the 90 days period before the elections as well, to see in terms of uh, is the country ready for elections as well and how can... uh, Countries uh, in the SADC region also assist in making sure that that actually takes place smoothly. You are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatam. We're getting sentiments from different parts of our uh, community. We're speaking to South Africa. We've just spoken to the High British Commissioner. And uh, now we are moving into looking at uh, just uh, some of the issues that are still uh, a challenge in the country, especially when you look at the issue of the Constitution in itself, uh, how we're going to deal with that moving forward, especially after the passing of Zambia's President Michael Sutter. We're honoring the man today. We're taking time to remember him and also look at uh, some logistical issues in moving forward. We heard that uh, he'll be uh, brought back uh, to Zambia from London on Saturday. Still, it's unclear uh, the timing of that and also how that's going to be taking place, but uh, at least uh, we are trying to keep you informed of what's going to be happening in terms of Zambia's President Michael Sutter. Let us know your thoughts on Zambia, the country, and also on the leader. Plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five is our SMS number. Remember, Ebola is not a death sentence. Get treatment sooner. This message is brought to you by Channel Africa and supplied by World Health Organization. Follow the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag BeatEbolaNow. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Very somber news, not so good for SADC as a region, also sad for Zambia as a country. Uh, the continent has lost one of its own, the President Michael Sutter. Uh, as we heard some of the sentiments raised by our experts, uh, Dr. Neosimotani, say, hey, he was loved by the people. He had an ability to connect with ordinary citizens of Zambia and he was much loved by the population. But now we're seeing another challenge now. In 90 days, we have to see the country holding elections. We know that uh, the Zambian Vice President Guy Scott has been uh, named the acting head of state following the death of the president. But now after 90 days, we have to see the country moving on to elections. Now, coming back to you, uh, uh, George, in terms of the readiness of this, the legal implications of this, 
Are we ready as Zambia to actually make sure that we have peace and fair elections? Can we make this happen? Right. Um, from, from what we witnessed yesterday, uh, one would be able to conclude that we are ready to have this election in the next uh, 90 days. As I earlier alluded to, uh, our, our constitution provides for a very smooth transition uh, in the event like the one that has transpired where the president dies in office. And uh, in compliance with the provisions of that Constitution 8, uh, government yesterday made an announcement that Mr. Gaiscourt has been appointed to act as the president for the next 90 days. And it was also announced by the Minister of Defence, Mr. Ed Galungu, that uh, the arrangements for, for the election, uh, uh, the preparations are going to take place and we will definitely have elections in, uh, in the next 90 days. So we are ready to have those elections. Mm. Now, let me move on to you, Dr. Neo Simatini. Do you agree with uh, uh, Mr. Chisanga in terms of the readiness of uh, Zambia? Yes, I do. I think uh, um, the, the provisions of the Zambian constitution have been uh, followed to the letter, uh, which is uh, to ensure that uh, the transition is well managed and that uh, uh, the, uh, the vice president uh, will oversee that, and, and that the constitution actually is very clear that in the, in the case of a vacancy, the president will act, and I think that has been uh, fulfilled. Uh, it, it has also been announced that within, within 90 days, the election will take place. So all those, uh, those are procedures that ought to be followed. Um, and so far, government has assured the nation that the constitutional provisions will be followed. Um, and I think there should be no discussion about changing those provisions, um, you know, in any way, you know, uh, they should be followed. You know, now that this has happened, there's, there's a vacancy. Uh, we are only waiting to, to put to rest our, our, our head of state. And thereafter, I think the campaign will start and the, the government will announce the date of the election. That's the procedure. I've heard other people. Uh, it suggests that, you know, uh, the guys could not qualify it and so forth. I think that is really, those are part of the position people are taking. The, the constitutional provision, the provisions and the, the way the constitution is, is that explained by Mr. Chifanga. It is that the vice president acts and acts only to ensure the major transition. And thereafter, mm. our constitution also not allow him to, to, to contest the election because the fight is closed. Uh, so he's not, he's not actually going to be eligible himself to contest elections. Mm. Well, I'll come back to that, to that issue of the Constitution. But from a South African element, uh, Becky, I haven't uh, yeah. uh, forgotten you there. How can we support uh, Zambia in terms of uh, conducting these elections and making sure they go on smoothly? I know that South Africa is very pivotal in such areas because we have a, a reputation for healthy elections in South Africa. Right. Uh, I think the South African government will always be ready to have the subject in the EU when necessary. But what is important here is that, you know, South Africa is growing. Democracy is taking root in Africa. We shall never be afraid of an election. I think that it is not for the first time that in Zambia that a president dies while he was still in office. The former president, Lev Banoasa, happened to, he passed on when he was still in office. Mm. There was a smooth transition. As I said earlier, that I really appreciate this, the armed forces and the security services of Zambia. 
because they are loyal to the constitution of Zambia. So if it provides that uh, the deputy president, Guy Scott, will act for 90 days, I also appreciate the fact that he made the pronouncement that he will defend the constitution and ensure that the constitution is executed as it is. So as the South African government, I think that we must stand ready that we give whatever support necessary for the Zambians to go to the elections. But we know that on their own, they can do that because, as I said, that democracy has taken root in Africa. That's why Africa is rising. Hmm. Well, let's let's come back to the issue of the Constitution. And maybe this is a a point that I should bring to you, George Shisanga. We heard there uh, Dr. Neo Simutani highlighting some warnings there that, hey, let's focus on uh, these 90 days and then deal with constitutional issues after we have elected a president in in Zambia. Now, the Constitution has been an issue that has barred anyone whose parents were not born in Zambia from being president. And this this has been a the talk in this regard in the last few uh, weeks, especially regarding uh, Guy Scott as vice president acting. Uh, what have been the main issues that have been highlighted with this particular constitution? And uh, what reforms should we see moving forward regarding this? I think uh, Guy Scott has brought some issues to light here. Well, the, um, the, the, the issue is to do with um, whether or not somebody whose parents were not Zambian can can or cannot be president. I think that issues that are now centered on the debate around the new constitution. But whatever is going to happen between now and the next ninety days, we will have to rely on the on the provisions of the existing constitution, which is which is which people are demanding must be reformed. Mm. Um, if, if, if I may just add, the the, the draft constitution is now out. But uh, with this intervening death of the uh, incumbent president, it, it, will, it will not be possible for us to deal with whatever issues of succession we we'll have to address uh, by, by referring to the, to the new constitution. We would have to resolve whatever issues have arisen around the current constitution. Now, the current constitution is very clear in terms of who and who cannot be eligible to, to, you know, to, to participate and the, and the seek election to the office of the president. Yeah. But the issue that is immediate has been the issue of whether Mr. Guy Scott has been appropriately placed in the office of acting president of the republic. And we have already issued a statement as the Royal Association of Zambia yesterday in which we said that this is as it's supposed to have been, that the appointment of Mr. Jai Scott to act as president is correctly done under Article 38 of the Constitution. There are definitely going to be issues that will come to the fore between now and the, the time we have the elections of whether or not he's going to be eligible to actually contest. And the, it's difficult to try and debate this, this angle mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. because the party has not elected who they would like to contest as, as a presidential candidate. Yeah, I think it will become a mm. debate once that that uh, election has been has been made by the Patriotic Fund. Mm. And it's also an interesting element. I want us to remain here just to create some clarifications because you guys are highlighting a very important issue, saying, hey, the draft constitution is out, but we need to deal with the initial constitution first to uh, push forward this process of bef- during the elections. But Article 38 of the draft constitution is said to allow Guy Scott to stand for presidency in their upcoming elections. This is very different.
amendment to the initial constitution. Do we see this happening as a provision uh, before these particular elections? Do we see us actually, or Zambia itself, um, including this article within uh, this period in time, Dr. Neo Simotani? Um, I think that uh, uh, Mr. Sang has ably um, uh, clarified that issue. The, the thing is this, that uh, uh, we have a draft constitution which proposes to resolve the problem of a vacancy in the office of president. It, it proposes that a vice president would be running to a president, which would do away with the necessity of a by-election. Unfortunately, the PS government has deliberately, deliberately delayed the process of ratifying a new constitution that would address this particular dilemma in which we are at the moment. The, the, that is the and has all those provisions. Unfortunately, it is not possible that that draft can be passed and pushed to, par- to Parliament now and passed because that is not the right way to, to do things. So it has to wait until we have had an election and then we can deal with those issues. Because it will, it will, it will, it will mean that it will advantage uh, the, the, the incumbent and so forth. So, so I think that the, the, the correct position, I'm not a lawyer myself, I think the standard is, but the correct position uh, from a political uh, side, political science side, is that there's an issue of power here. Mm. There's a power vacuum. And the way to resolve it, the, the constitution we have in place, is, 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 it says that in an event of a vacancy in the presidency, it will be sealed by a competitive election within 90 days. So this is what we should do at the moment. We cannot, at this point, put away the new constitution, the old constitution, and bring in the provisions that are in the draft. We can't do that. Mm. In fact, there are many things that we need from the draft, which we need to properly debated and properly passed. So, for the fact, to, to, to the extent that the, the PF deliberately delayed this process and are pushing in this thing now, I think that it won't be entertained that they can push changes now to the necessitate uh, you know, either you know the the, the, the acting president continuing or making him qualify, which is too possible. They can still they can still amend the constitution that remove the standing clause, which I think in my view is discriminated. You can remove the standing clause, but it doesn't apply to him at the moment. He he stands disqualified from contesting the presidency, but he is qualified to act as a president for ninety days. Well, let's wrap it up. I think I have about three minutes left of the program. Uh, Just to get a a feel of what people think of the draft constitution that was released on Friday, uh, because this is actually going back to the people of Zambia. This was the president of uh, the people of Zambia. But uh, how have people responded to this release of the new constitution? Have we heard anything from civil society responding to this particular draft constitution, George? Um, we, we are working together with civil society. In fact, we've formed what is called the Grand Collision Civil Societies okay. for, the, for a people-driven constitution. 
Uh, we have been very actively involved in making sure that we pass what we have described as Zambia as a people-driven constitution. Of course, like Dr. Samudani, who I know very well as alluded to, the government has been very slow in dealing with these issues. Now, the issues surrounding the draft constitution that we are, we are, we are, we are addressing ourselves to are not really issues of the content. I think issues of the content, we have dealt with them at every level. This constitution-making process has enjoyed a massive consultative programs within the country. It has been debated at several fora, including a national consultative forum. In terms of content, this draft is a fantastic draft constitution, and we've looked at it. My association up to now is still reviewing it to try and compare with the one that had been debated before we gave the technical committee the mandate to, call, to finalize preparations of the draft. But the issues that are contentious around this constitution is how we are going to bring it into being. The debate that we have as civil society is that we need to have this, a, a clear roadmap that shows that the process of enacting the constitution will be national rather than political, because our argument has been that the making of a constitution is not a political process, it's a national process. And the only thing that is political about making a constitution is the driving force. A government that is in power must give it political will. We are now at a level where we're engaging government to agree on how we're going to enact this constitution. The demand by civil society is that this constitution might, must be enacted by a referendum because it's the most popular way of enacting a constitution. Of course, the fear arises from the previous experiences that the country has had, where you agree a particular roadmap of enacting a constitution and also you agree on the content. But the time you get to the actual constitution, the content has changed because the government has put in only what they think they should enact. Now, the government has always argued that they represent the people. But we have argued that those people that voted the government in, some of them don't understand the intricacies of constitutional making. But the people who vote the government in are minded to expect that government will be engaged with the elect and the knowledgeable in society to agree a program of national governance that takes on board everybody. Mm, mm. So this is where we are right now. Well, I have we are to... very hopeful that the government is going to listen to us and enact a constitution in that fashion. Well, I have to wrap it up. Thank you so much to George Chisanga. He's the president of the Law Society of Zambia. We also want to thank uh, Beke Khatib. He didn't say much, uh, but uh, he was contributing you, in terms of uh, his views of the South African uh, support and uh, the views and the relationships between Zambia and South Africa. And Beke Khatib is the acting chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa. Thank you, Becky. We also want to thank Dr. Neo Simutanyu, who's the political scientist and director of the Center for Policy Dialogue, giving us sentiments there on how people felt about uh, the president there and also looking at those uh, constitutional issues there that we've highlighted recently now in the latter part of the program. Thank you all for joining us and earlier on we had James Thornton, the British High Commissioner, joining us to give us that element from uh, uh, London in terms of bringing the body back and also the relationships between Britain and uh, Zambia. But thank you all for joining us here on African Dialogue. Thank you very much. I'm indebted for participating. That's how we wrap up that uh, conversation here on African Dialogue. But let's move on quickly to uh, Wisani Matebula. He'll give us our economics update.
Thanks, Benjamin. United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and President of the World Bank Jim Yong Kim are leading a high-powered delegation of six international organizations in the Eastern and Horn of Africa region for a conference on the restoration of peace and economic development. President of the World Bank Jim Yong Kim elaborates. We project to invest another $4 billion in the next three years under our new country partnership strategy for Kenya. Stronger collaboration by the bank group agencies among themselves and with the government and the people of Kenya will certainly increase dividends. I express my great admiration to President Kenyatta about things that are happening in Kenya that are truly leading the entire world. Three consortiums of foreign energy firms have signed contracts for gas exploration in Algeria in the first of such deals since a deadly attack on a gas plant in the Sahara last year. Algeria's hydrocarbons energy, Al-Naft, signed two contracts with a consortium formed by Eni of Italy and Emirati firm Dragon Oil for blocks in eastern and western regions of the Sahara. A third contract was signed with Norway Start Oil and a British-Dutch firm Shell for a block in eastern Sahara, while Repsol of Spain and Shell have formed a consortium for Bagozul in the north of the country. South Africa's ESCOM has warned that the load shedding could be on the cards if electricity is not used sparingly. Earlier on, the power utility issued a warning that the power supply was severely constrained and will remain so for the rest of the week because of technical problems. The power utility says it has already alerted about 140 key industrial customers and ordered them to reduce their load by a minimum of 10%. ESCOM's Andrew Etzinger. We certainly are constrained, both for tonight as well as tomorrow night. Between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., our reserve margins will be virtually zero. That does mean that we're vulnerable. If we did pick up additional problems, we might need to implement load shedding as a last resort. But at the moment, the system is stable, so certainly not a crisis. Uh, If we do pick up additional technical problems, and if we do see that the reserve margin is is, uh, heading to below zero, our system operator will implement load shedding. Some currencies news now. The Kenyan shilling unchanged, supported in part by expectations of hard currency inflows from onshore investors in a government bond. The central bank has announced an additional sale of a 12-year government infrastructure bond worth $220 million, attracting currency inflows that balanced end-of-the-month dollar demand from importers. Some traders, however, say the shilling is expected to have a weakening bias once the effect of the bond issue wears off. The absence of the regular mop-up of excess liquidity by the central bank has also weakened the local currency. And a broader look at your financial indicators, the dollar 10.86, South African rands 8.94, Botswana Pulis and 6.34, Zambian Kwachas. Also at 0.62 against the British pound and at 0.79 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,212, platinum $1,253, a fine ounce. Brent crude oil going up one notch from yesterday's close of $86, now at $87.05 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. Tabi Sundima is standing by to now give us our sports.
Good day, sports fans. I'm Tabison Tema with your latest sports update at this hour. South Africans are at this hour attending a memorial service at the Standard Bank Arena in Johannesburg to pay their final respects to three sporting figures who died within three days of each other. They are Olympic silver medalist Mbula Enimolawuzi, Bafana Bafana captain Senzo Meiwa, and professional female boxer Pindilem Velase. Mbula Enimulawuzi's former trainer J.P. van der Merve shares his memories of the fallen South African athletics icon. Mulawuzi was a quiet, reserved person, not outspoken, had a very fine sense of humor, but um, strong-minded, hard-willed. Uh, I think he had a life philosophy of first is first and second is nowhere, and that is the way he approached everything. Um, I think the way that he raced, uh, you know, showing determination, sometimes even uh, not being in the physical shape that uh, was conducive for running good. But his mind was so strong that he could put it off on the day. All three will be buried this weekend in their hometowns. On to netball news. Elise Kotze, the head coach of South Africa's senior national women's netball team, says the upcoming Fast Five netball series will afford her a chance to work with fringe players and to see how they will respond to the pressure of playing at the highest level. Kotze's team will go into camp on Saturday before flying out to New Zealand on Sunday to take part in the Fast Five series, which also features Australia, England and Jamaica. She expressed dissatisfaction over the lack of more time to prepare for the event, but has devised a plan to counter this problem. We have arranged training matches against Australia. That would also be our first match um, in the Fast Five series, and then England and Jamaica. So for us, important um, uh, or great opportunity to feel um, the teams physically and, you know, to see what is their strengths and their weaknesses, to plan um, for whatever we need to do on court. In rugby news, Springbok coach Heineck Meyer has stressed the importance of the North Hemisphere Tour to maintain a winning momentum. Mayer says the tour will provide his team with a chance to get familiar with the wet conditions for fringe players and to prove their capabilities ahead of next year's World Cup. The box will face Six Nations champions Ireland in the first test on tour in two weeks' time. Tabo Daniels has more. At this time of the year, temperatures in South Africa are in the high 20s. But the conditions will be completely different when the box travel to Europe. It will be close to freezing point. And facing Ireland in their first clash won't be a walk in the park. I truly believe that uh, one of our things that we need to improve as a team is uh, in probably the whole South Africa is we don't play well in, in wet conditions uh, because we don't face it a lot. So even in the previous championship where three games was wet, and especially in New Zealand, the way we didn't want to move the ball, but we were not good enough and skillful enough to move it. With one eye on the World Cup next year, Mayor has highlighted the importance of continuity. It is unlikely that he will temper with his regular lineup, but some of the new charges could feature in their clash against Italy on the 22nd of November. South Africa swimmer Chad Lecroix finished the penultimate leg of the FINA Swimming World Cup in Tokyo in pole position to claim the overall title. Lecroix added another goal to the two that he won on day one, giving him 24 in all this year, equaling his personal best for a single season. Simon Burke has the story. Leclerc was beaten by the German Stefan Deibler in Beijing in the 100 meters butterfly in their last outing. And going into the Tokyo final, the South African was only the third fastest. 
Leclo has the World Cup series in his sights, and with two golds on the first day, he's showing no signs of relenting. He won in a time of 48.95 seconds, half a body length and 1.29 seconds ahead of Daibler. It's his third gold at the meet and 24th of the series. The total thus far is just four off the record of 28 gold, a target that's within his reach with Singapore to come. Leclerc's closest challenger in the overall series is Daniel Goethe of Hungary. Goethe kept up the pressure with a gold in the 100 meters breaststroke. Miles Brown was a gold medal winner on day one in the 400 meters freestyle. He almost timed his charge to the tiles perfectly in the 200 meters free, but was pipped by Japan's Kosaki Hagano. Brown was 0.16 seconds off gold, adding a second silver to the South African contingent's hall in Tokyo. That's your sport at this hour. Stay tuned on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us once again for this hour in African Dialogue. Remember, you can SMS us your views on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. We want to hear from you. And maybe you want to pay tribute to President uh, Michael Sutter. Also, say a word or two to Zambia as a country and also as the people of Zambia in order to just lift their spirits up in this uh, very challenging moment that they are facing right now. But uh, let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. And the number again is plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African time. Thank you for joining us today. And coming up is uh, Africa Midday to give you the latest current affairs on what's happening on the continent. Mm-hmm.